This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. A lot went on over the weekend to recap for you, including wars on I-4 in baseball and softball. Unfortunately, just one win, but as the name of the station is USF Bulls Unlimited, not USF Bulls limited to just giving you the good news. We will tell you what happened in Orlando with softball. Three very close games, but on the wrong end of all three. However, and definitely not trying to shine too bright a light on getting swept by your rival, which has beaten you 11 times in a row, but definitely some positives and actually some in a strange way that happened, well, a few states over, we'll explain. Baseball wins a home run derby on Saturday and had a chance to win the series against UCF on Sunday, but did not. A game that definitely was closer than the 11-1 final makes it sound, and yes, I'll explain. The men lost the war on I-4 on Friday, saw their season come to an end in tennis. In a men's tennis tournament, that was just as close as could be. Everything was a 4-3 final, including the Bulls lost to UCF including, by the way, the UCF lost the next day, which knocked them out of NCAA tournament consideration, and including the small upset in the championship match. So it was that tight in men's tennis. We'll also give you what happened with men's golf in the conference tournament in Bel Air. Unfortunately, the Bulls season also comes to an end there. The women's golf bubble watch is actually right on the cusp of being good news. We do have some for you that we'll pass along in the second segment. Start off with baseball, and the Saturday game was fun, the Friday game was dramatic, and the Sunday game turned out to be a run rule victory for UCF as the Bulls lose two out of three. We'll give you highlights of all three games. They are in fourth place at the midway point of the conference schedule. And oh, speaking of the conference, all that stuff I've been saying about East Carolina's gonna win the league, I'd like to retract that or at least amend it for now because they got swept. We'll do around the American later on on Monday afternoon, and we'll give you the details, but we'll give you the standings and how they impact the Bulls on that end here after we recap the games themselves. UCF on Friday night, a 6-4 win, which made you appreciate the value of a shutdown inning, things that you know the importance of, somewhat take for granted when they happen, and something the Bulls could not get. We have to set up, though, what happened, and we'll give you what Billy Mull told me pregame, and that is the Bulls were without their ace pitcher, Boogie Brown and could be without him for quite some time. Here's what the head coach said about the man who, in not only leading the Bulls with the Friday starts, but in his Friday start in Orlando three weeks ago, was spectacular, striking out 12 nights in a 2 nothing shutout. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, in the third inning against Houston, he kind of slipped on the mound in the middle of the pitch and felt something in his shoulder. Um, and after the game, was not feeling good. Uh, so we don't know exactly how long he'll be out. Uh, it's going to be for a little bit. Now, having said that, Hunter Mink also pitched well against the Knights the first time around. So he becomes a Friday starter and was doing well until the fourth inning. But before that, the Knights did get him for one run in the very first inning. It took them 17 innings to score against the Bulls in the first series. But a five-pitch walk, a sack bump, and then Andrew Sundin, who had three hits in each of the first two games and is just really warm right now, had his team ahead. Bulls are facing Rudy Gomez, who has been tough all the way around, even though the Bulls 
got him just a little bit in that 2 nothing win. Another run for UCF in the top of the third. They lead the conference in getting hit by pitches. John Rice Pungley got tagged by the first Hunter Mink offering of the inning. And then he stole second, got to third on a bad throw. Would have come home anyway on Sunday's single to center, and it was 2 nothing. But then the Bulls took the lead in the bottom of the third inning. Eight and nine batters, Joaquin Monque and Nelson Rivera with singles. And even though Drew Brutcher struck out, two outs for the freshman. One and two again. And Snow golfs it deep to right field. It's got a chance. Justin going back to the wall. Gone! Home run, Eric Snow. And the Bulls take the lead. Three to two. Showing some opposite field power. The freshman with one of the biggest hits of his first season. As you can tell, it was a juiced up crowd. It was a big crowd and the Bulls had the lead. And here comes the chance for a shutdown inning and it was the opposite as Nick Romano, the kid from Hillsborough High School, homers to right also. The wind was blowing out the first two days as far as going out to right. Then a walk and that was just the beginning of Hunter Mink's control issues. He would hit two batters to load the bases. A wild pitch scored the go-ahead run. Another walk reloaded them. And another hit-by-pitch gave UCF a 5-3 lead. They scored three runs in the inning with the benefit of exactly one hit. It was that leadoff homer, which was a legitimate hit. But they sent nine to the plate with only one hit, which is kind of hard to do if you think about it. Beginning kind of hard to do. It was hard for the Bulls to get anything going against the two UCF relievers. We'll get there in a second. But they did tag Rudy Gomez for another home run, the only time he's given up two all year long. Boza with eight home runs. And that could be another. Golfs it deep to right field. I think that's not going to hold it. Woo! Man, oh man, did he crush that ball. Tom Jostin took a gander at it, and his only hope was that somehow it went foul. It didn't. And Bobby B, his ninth home run, tying D.C. for the team lead, and it's 6-4. to four. So 6-4 with one out in the sixth inning, and you're on the comeback trail. Problem is, boy, oh boy, they could not touch Najir Victor. Transfer from FGCU was really great for them as their Sunday starter last year. 4-0 with a sub-3 ERA and more strikeouts than walks. He had actually pitched against the Bulls one time in Orlando and got the win even though it was a situation where he came on in relief of their starter and just kept it 6-3. Faced three batters and the first two got on and then the Knights scored five runs in the bottom of the fifth and he got the Somewhat fluky win. In this game, he deserves some sort of decision on his record. He couldn't get the save, though, because they brought in Kyle Kramer, their actual closer, who picked up save number eight. The point is the Bulls, no matter who it was, Victor or Kramer did not get a hit and struck out eight of the nine times. But they also got a very impressive and critical relief performance, maybe for the long term, more than this weekend, by Austin Grouse. I just told you about how Victor picked up that win because UCF scored five runs in the bottom of the fifth on the Sunday game a few weeks back. Well, it was Grouse who really, really struggled. Not this time. Not there. And Austin Grouse is looking great. Pulls the string once again. Adds to his career high in strikeouts with five. Grouse gets it there. And what a performance by Austin Grouse. Gets him swinging at a fast strike. His third strikeout of the night. And he's given the Bulls two and two-thirds scoreless innings in this one. This will be pitch number 55 for Grouse. So the good news is that 
He has been all you could ask for. There's the other side of it is probably burns him for the weekend, especially with the next two games on afternoon. But what a great performance it was. Swing and a miss on a fastball by Grouse. A career performance as the kid from Gaither High School gives his team a chance. I thought Grouse was great. How important was it in the grand scheme of things because of the pitching situation to have him carry the ball for the rest of the game? Yeah, we've been talking about it as a team. You know, Brown goes down and somebody's got to step up, and I thought Grouse did a really good job of stepping up yesterday. You know, coming out of the fall, we thought Grouse was going to be our Friday night guy. He's got the stuff to do it, and you kind of saw a glimmer of that last night. He's gotten better over his last three outings. He's gotten better each outing, and you kind of saw the old Grouse last night, which I was proud, to, proud of him and good to see. And it set up the pitching situation for Saturday which was going to be Lawson Gailey all along. And after we did our pregame interview, that was part of that. He told me off mic, and we can say it now because it was going to unfold the plan, that would be a lot of freshmen and then maybe Riley Skeen at the end. The freshmen being Lawson Gailey, Justin Jackson, Chandler Dorsey, and then if you're winning and need your closer, Riley Skeen, well, they didn't need their closer because they almost run-ruled this thing. We'll get there in just a second. But Gailey was solid, did not go the five innings, so did not get the win, but the man who has been the Tuesday night starter for the last five weeks, now the Saturday starter for the Bulls, certainly in his first weekend action, especially for a freshman, did pretty well. The Knights got him for two runs in the third and the fourth, but before all that happened, the Bulls had already hit a trio of home runs. And Cantu rips it deep to right field. Going back on it is Jostin, and it's out of here. We told you that Cantu ripped a couple yesterday the wrong way that looked like homers and got caught up by the wind. Those were two shots hit harder than that one, but he aimed it right, and it lands in the right spot for Daniel's 10th homer of the year, and the Bulls lead it 1-0. And, boy, that ball is launched deep to left field. That has got a chance. It is gone. Joaquin Monke keeps earning the A-Bs. And he has given the Bulls a 4-0 lead. And Bobby Bozer crushes that ball. If it's fair, it's out of here for sure. And it is on both accounts. Love to see what you're seeing on the Bulls side right now. Bobby Bozer says, Daniel Cantu, I don't like you taking the team lead in homers for me. I'll hit my 10th as well. It's 5-0. Bulls able to get to Ben Vespi, who was getting a rare start and didn't work out for his team. Lawson Gailey did give up two runs in the third, but limited the damage. It could have been a bigger inning. And then back to the dish and back to hitting balls out of the yard for the Bulls. One and one to Brutcher. And he launches that one to right. He might have got too far underneath it. I don't think so. That sails out of here. He pulls it out of here. Home run number four of the day for the Bulls. A two-run shot makes it 7-2. to two. Rafael Betancourt takes ball one from Stagliano, and he rips that ball deep to right field. That's got a chance. Absolutely out of here. I mean, way out of here. It's a home run derby in Tampa, and it's 8-2. to two. Feeling pretty good about things at that point. Boy, it was a fun day. Five home runs in all. The home runs would stop as the pitching improved for UCF. The Knights again get two runs in the top of the fourth, and Eric Snow let loose on 3-0 and and doubles to the gap to make it 9-4. to And then what you don't mind when it's 9-4 to is the game stagnated from a scoring pace, and it was a stagnant type of weather day. It was very warm on a Saturday afternoon. But you don't mind it when you're ahead by a handful of runs, and the Bulls got some outstanding middle relief by their second freshman pitcher in this contest. 
McKay with Sankovic not holding him on. In fact, they have Russo shifted. Is sprinting down the line, trying to visually distract Jackson. Smart, actually, with two outs especially. Here's that curveball on its line into the shift. Montez will field it. Loop it over and just in time to get Russo. That was a little lofty on that one, but it gets the job done. And speaking of getting the job done, Justin Jackson wasn't flawless, but he was really solid in three innings of work for the Bulls today. And he got the win with those three innings of one-run ball out of the pen. Then what we didn't expect, as you got to stretch and go to the bottom of the seventh, a chance to end it early as the Bulls would score five times. And this was all after a strikeout to start things off by Eric Snow. Drew Butchel walks, and then Rafael Betancourt strikes out. So it's 9-5 to five with two outs and one runner on. You're not thinking run rule situation by any means, but Travis Sankovic golfs one to left field. John Montez gets hit by a pitch. They bring in Nick Vieiro in the 9-5 game, and he plunks Joaquin Monke, so it's 10-5. to five. Then Nelson Rivera, a chopper of an infield single for 11-5. to five. A bases loaded walk, and all of a sudden, it is 12-5. The run rule is seven innings, ten runs, and you got Daniel Cantu up with the bases loaded. See a scenario where they score three more. They've got three in. They need three more to end it via run rule. Cantu lines it and past the first baseman. That'll bring home a pair. And throw into third base. Hurry up. Bozer gets there. And it is 14-5. Daniel Cantu has a three RBI day. 14-5. Here comes Eric Snow with runners on the corners. And, boy, everyone's thinking the same thing. And if you're listening to me on air, I noticed how UCF's corner infielders were way back. And do you dare get cheeky enough to drop down a bunt in that situation? I actually talked to Billy Mole about it Sunday morning, and he said, yeah, one out for sure, but you just can't do that with two outs, and especially it looks bad if it goes wrong. And, oh, by the way, Eric Snow is just swinging a really hot bat, and he actually grounded out into a fielder's choice. And then that uh, failure to get the run rule started to look like it might be an issue because the Bulls did go with Chandler Dorsey for Justin Jackson, and he just struggled. He gave up a first-pitch single. Five-pitch walk, hit batter, and it's 14-5. to five. Caleb Punsack gives up a sack fly, but you're thinking trade outs for hits. All of a sudden, Plumley singles, and it's 14-7. to seven. McCabe doubles. It's 14-8, to eight, and they've got runners on second and third. So Eric Snow's inability to put the game away offensively at least gave the opportunity for him to do this. He's 0 for 4 today, but still hitting 360. And a great Hitter. And he taps out one, two, deep short. Snow is able to get to it. Spins. Oh, what a play! Unbelievable play! Sundin didn't run it out. Snow on the ball that was ticketed up the middle. Goes down to a knee, spins up, and throws out their slugger. Well, that's as good as you're going to feel after a three-spot given up in the inning. And 14-8 to eight would be the final score. If that one gets through, man, I don't want to think about it, but the Bulls win. And then on Sunday, 11-1 loss. Sounds like it was over early. It was not. We'll explain. We'll give you a few key moments in that one. And then we'll tell you about softball getting swept by UCF absolutely in every game. Very late in the case of two of them but lost all three. The standings, updates in both baseball and softball and how it impacts the Bulls. It was an end of the season Friday afternoon in the Warren I-4 for men's tennis, an end of the season weekend for men's golf, 
and hopefully not the end of the season for women's golf, that bubble watch when we return on Bulls Beat. This is Bulls Beat on the Unlimited Unloaded page. And we are getting to the end of the softball season. Only two more weekends of action. We'll have play-by-play for you coming up on Friday through Sunday. It'll be double duty for yours truly like we had a few weeks back when both teams were at home. And we were watching softball. We'll tell you what happened with them. And again, update the standings for both here before we wrap up Bulls Beat. The 11-1 misleading final score on Sunday. First of all, the wind was blowing in, which made for less of a home run derby. In fact, none for the Bulls. And the UCF Knights had 10 hits to start off the game, nine of which were singles. Many of them did not travel far, and that was kind of annoying. They did tack on a couple late. Oh, speaking of kind of annoying, the Knights were not. I think they got some sort of lesson in humility at some point along the line. I don't even know what happened, but for situations like in Orlando a few weeks back when you would have expected them to be doing a lot of jaw jacking, no one was doing that. I mean, obviously UCF was happy when it was performing well. Uh, on Sunday, there was a good example of their pitcher that we did not see in the first series, the freshman who can throw upper 90s fastballs but controls an issue, Cam Leiter. He quick-pitched Bobby Bosa to start the game and pounded his chest like three times and like, oh, here we go. It's going to maybe turn into something. But I even think he got a toned-down talk, and there was just none of that. It was, dare I say, not a War and I 4 feel from some of the stuff that we usually see going back and forth. But it could change if they play again in the conference tournament, obviously. On Sunday, as I mentioned, Leiter was the starter for the Knights, and he pitched pretty well, and we saw Mr. Victor again, and he held down the Bulls. Even when they scored a run, there was a feeling of what could have been in it. And for that matter, when UCF scored its runs, there was a feeling of it could have not happened, namely in the top of the second inning. Looked like the Bulls were going to get out of it. Infield is back for the Bulls on the corners. And that could be two. Right to Snow on a slow roll. Shovels to Montez. Not a fast throw, and the run will score. You know, looking at that, it's one nothing. Knights, Snow should have taken it to the bag. Snow has been so good. Looking at it again, the bounce of the ball took him a little bit more to his right. In other words, it wasn't leading him onto the bag. But still, that should have been a double play off the bat. And then, again, it's one nothing. The Bulls tie it, but it could have been a bigger inning. Here's the audio. Daniel Cantu takes one way deep to right field. If it's fair, it's out of here, and it's not fair. Oh, man. That ball was crushed. And Daniel Cantu took it for a long ride. Oh, Snow tags that ball. Deep to center field. Plumlee's got great speed, and he will catch up to it. There is a sacrifice fly as Brodell tags him plenty of time, and we are tied. And, oh, man, Snow handled that ball. The Cantu blast would have made it 3-1 to one Bulls. The Snow blast, if the wind was blowing out, would have made it 4-1, to one, but certainly could have been a bases-clearing double either way 3-1. to one. And so, again, the Bulls have to settle for just tying the score. And just like on Friday night when the Bulls had actually taken the lead and the Knights answered with three runs without really doing too much, this was a bunch of drips and drabs and one key play. I think this was the play of the game. That ball was popped on a bunt attempt. They have to go one with it. Ooh. And just, oh, they don't get him. Man, oh, man. Siebert just did not put enough on that throw. 1-1 game, so they're bunting for a sacrifice there. Absolutely should not have been a hit. Turned out to be a hit. Then an actual perfect bunt laid down by the next batter. Drew Faroe loads the bases. And even though Siebert gets a strikeout 
a wild pitch where actually the Bulls could have played it into an out at home. Nick Romano stumbled down the third baseline, but they kind of gave up on the play. And then, of course, infield's in, and John Rice Plumley comes up with a solid single up the middle, and it's 4-1. to one. And that just turned out to be too much for the Bulls. They only really had one other inning where they had something going in the bottom of the fifth. They got the first two on, and then here comes Victor. And at least he didn't strike out the side, but he got Daniel Cantu to pop out on a 2-1 and one pitch and then struck out Snow and Brutcher. That would have been the get-back inning, and the Bulls didn't do anything really appreciably offensively the rest of the way. Just one hit, a triple by Bobby Bozer. And similar to Saturday, where it went from a game that was just going to be a normal-looking type of win to run-rule territory, except UCF took it there. Because it's freshman shortstop, Drew Farrow rips a grand slam into the wind off of Tanner Mink, who relieved Riley Skeen. The Bulls went with their closer when this was still in range at 4-1. to one, And he pitched the fifth and the sixth, but you could tell on a hot day, a guy that hadn't been used to going that extra inning ran out of steam and then Mink gets touched up for the slam. Then in the eighth, Andrew Sundin, and you could sort of read the tea leaves on this one, makes it a run rule situation. Got 14 right now, and there it goes. Golf deep to left field. Will the wind keep it in? Nope. That was just slugged out of here. Barely got over that wall, and it's 11-1. Andrew Sundin, it's his 10th home run of the year, and the Knights are having a day. Pun unintended, but now that I just heard it, actually, it was a good pun. So that's why we gave you some of the previous highlights to show that 11-1 to 1 might have been a little blown up there at the end. But either way, UCF evens the season series. It ends up three-piece for each team, and the Bulls are 6-6 six and six in conference. Again, tune in, first airing 5 o'clock on Monday for Around the American, where we'll give you all the details of how Wichita State swept East Carolina, but how it applies to the Bulls here on Bulls Beat is that it makes it very interesting. In fact, it is a seismic result in the entire American Athletic Conference for baseball because it goes from just assuming that East Carolina is going to be the number one seed, and you've heard me say it all along, that because of that you want to finish second or third and not on the same side of the bracket for the conference tournament. The reason being is you don't want to have to potentially have to beat East Carolina twice just to make it to the championship game. Well, now there is a real chance, and I mean a real chance, that East Carolina is not the regular season champ. And if that's the case, you're probably okay with finishing fourth or fifth. And you might have to be because right now it's shaping up that way for the Bulls. They are in fourth, but Wichita and Houston eight and four, East Carolina seven and five, Bulls six and six with three teams knocking on the door game behind. UCF, one of them, Cincinnati, who comes to Tampa this weekend being another, along with Tulane, who the Bulls already have the head-head on. Memphis is in last place, and that's where the Bulls go in two weeks. I'll be making the trip with the team for that one. And we are not going to dress it up into something it wasn't. Despite that fun win on Saturday, every other meeting between USF and UCF was a loss. The Knights claimed all six points available in softball and in men's golf. It is kind of the weird thing. Baseball only counts one point each because it's six points total. Even if the Bulls had won yesterday, it would have been a great feeling. It would have been a good accomplishment to beat them two series. And yet, in the war and I-4 standings, they would have only picked up two points where in men's golf, which we'll get to in a few minutes, it was a very disappointing showing for UCF. And yet, they still finished ahead of the Bulls, so they got six points. I think the war and I-4 standings, if you're a Knights fan, you obviously love them. And hey, you've won the trophy seven years in a row, but... I think that's going to go away. It will be interesting to see how many sports continue 
to play off against each other. I retweeted a pretty interesting poll from a UCF, a good fan site that wanted for people's opinions on which series should continue and which should not, and actually had some pretty good points made. One that they think should continue, and I agree, is softball. Even though it looks like UCF is dominating because, well, it has. It's won the last 11, including a sweep this weekend, but all three games were close. As a matter of fact, how often can you say that a team gets swept in a series and scores the same amount of earned runs as the opponent? Yes, a couple of timely errors and not many runs overall by the Bulls. They scored two all weekend long, and that's exactly how many earned UCF got. Gabriella Nori was great for USF, and she had a 1-0 lead going into the bottom of the sixth inning. The Bulls scored their run in the top of the second. Marissa Tribalpiece walked on four pitches, got moved over by a ground out and a fielder's choice when UCF tried to make the throw over to third. Tribalpiece beat it out. Then Lauren Beavis pinch runs and comes around on the Tylee Vaughn RBI ground out. Bulls had a run on second and one out in the third inning, but could not score. In fact, they could not score again against Sarah Willis, the Washington transfer who has been tremendous for UCF, not just this past weekend, but throughout the course of the season. Tribal piece doubles to lead off the fourth. Camille Ortiz Martinez bunts her over. And then the Bulls, again, with the chance to really tack on, cannot do it. Meanwhile, Nori is cruising along until the sixth inning when Jada Cody gets a one-out single. Aubrey Evans, the freshman, singles as well. Past ball advances the runners to second and third and allows for Chloe Evans fly out to bring home a run. So that's why the run was unearned. It was on a pass ball, at least the first run was. Bulls do not threaten in the top of the seventh. Knights get a runner to second with two outs, but Nori gets out of that. Again, one, two, three in the top of the eighth for the Bulls. So really middle of the game is when they had their best chance and they could not take advantage. And Cody, who on Friday's show we told you had that amazing season last year, 15 homers and 75 RBI. Well, she doubled to lead off the bottom of the eighth. Knights did not hit a home run this weekend, but they got just enough big plays. A ground out moved her over to third. And then Chloe Evans, the transfer from Minnesota's single, ends the game. So she had the tying and go-ahead RBI. Both starters went the distance, including seven in the third innings for Nori. Jaden Martinez went three and two-thirds on Saturday for the Bulls, gave up three runs, but just one earned in this situation. But the Bulls only managed three hits the entire day against their second-best pitcher, Grace Jewell. Three to one was the score. Knights had taken the lead with an earned run. All of this after two outs, they got a single, a walk, and then Jasmine Williams, the single for one nothing. But then an error at second base helped open the door for Kennedy Searcy's two-run double. Vivian Pond comes on for Jaden Martinez, and she's been uncanny. She did not give up a run the rest of the way. The Bulls got a run back in the top of the fifth when Lydia Castro homered, and the Bulls actually had a chance with some base runners in the top of the sixth with, again, a 3-1 lead and 2-on. Marissa Tribal piece comes up, but she grounds out, and the Bulls lose that one. Then on Sunday, it was nothing-nothing until the bottom of the sixth inning. Bulls had more chances to score throughout this one once again. Not a ton, but definitely more. But UCF takes the lead and the win in the bottom of the six on a fluke play. Now, to their credit, they had runners on base, and they had been stranding some throughout the course of the weekend. But once again, Chloe Evans singles, and it was probably going to be an infield single. Looked like she had the throw beat, but the shortstop Kathy Garcia's throw was dropped over at first base by Alyssa Reno. That allowed the runner from second to come on home, and the bounding of the ball was such that another run came home. So two unearned runs in this case. 
top of the seventh. Vivian Pond, of course, had the big homer against the Gators, has been homering a lot lately, actually comes up with two on, but Grace Jewell, who got the save for Willis, who probably will be the AAC Pitcher of the Week for a second straight time, got Vivian Pond on a strikeout looking, and UCF enjoys all the spoils of victory. And yes, it does not feel good in that scenario, but I'll tell you what is very interesting and could line up for a Warren I-4 in the semifinal in just less than three weeks, by the way, as it's coming up, just two weeks left in the regular season. Tulsa went to Houston and swept the Cougars, including a stunning rally. They'd already won the first two games, and then on Sunday, they were down 4-2 to with two outs in the seventh, and they came back to win. What does that mean when it comes to the Bulls? Well, to finish... They're not going to finish in second place. Wichita's going to be one. UCF's going to be two, thanks to the sweep. In my opinion, and I've been wrong about this, by the way, I remember with women's soccer wanting the Bulls to match up with SMU in the semis, and they got beat 5 nothing because I wanted to avoid Memphis, which, by the way, I was right on both because Memphis ended up beating UCF and making it to the Sweet 16. Anyway, back to this situation, I'm guessing you'd rather be the three seed because if you're the four or the five, first of all, you get a tougher first game, and then in the semis, you got to play Wichita. If you're the third seed, you get an easier first game, and you'll be playing your rival. Now, does anyone think that based on the recaps I just gave you that the Bulls would have no chance against UCF in a rematch at home? Of course they'd have a chance. So, here's why what happened with that Tulsa-Houston series helps the Bulls so much. If Houston had just won one game, again, held on to a 4-2 lead with two outs in the seventh, they'd be a game ahead of the Bulls in the standings. Right now, it's Wichita 13-2, UCF 9-3, And then three games back in a tie, it's USF, Tulsa, and Houston. Well, the Bulls already have the head-to-head on Tulsa, which has to go to Wichita this weekend. So Tulsa's not going to catch the Bulls. The Bulls play Memphis this weekend. Memphis is 8-35. Houston goes to UCF. So you can tell, if things play out how they're supposed to, that the Bulls are at least likely to have a two-game lead for third place going into the final week of the regular season and going to Houston. And the difference would be now you just have to win one of those three games as opposed to winning the series to lock up the three seed. So, again, it wasn't wonderful news from the past weekend, but trying to show you that all was not lost. But can't paint a rosy picture, unfortunately, for men's golf and men's tennis. All was lost as far as the chances of extending their season and actually losing to UCF was the men's tennis team. You knew it was going to be close. It was. You knew it was going to go down to the last match. It did. In the end, the Bulls lose their last four of the season, the last three all as close as they could have been by four to three, and that's really how it went over at the USTA National Campus is from the quarterfinals on in, pretty much every single match in the AAC tournament was four to three, including, by the way, UCF playing SMU in a semifinal on Saturday where the winner knew it was probably going to the NCAA tournament, and the loser knew its season was over, and SMU beat UCF 4-3. to In this case, the Bulls lost the doubles point, so they had to win four out of the six singles, and the match where they looked like they had the easiest win because Eric Gavellius won six love, ended up being the only match that went three sets, and a freshman from UCF in the last match going, Yassine Delemi defeats him 6-4 in that final set. The Bulls did get three victories, obviously losing 4-3. to Number two, Alvin Todorica, easily 6-4, 6-1. Bruno Oliveira against a ranked opponent was an even easier winner, 6-2, 6-2. The youngster from Australia, Thomas Pavlikovich-Smith, 7-5, and then a huge second-set tiebreaker victory. But while the Bulls needed just one more win, Elijah Cham lost a close second set, 
and then Gravelius, as I mentioned, lost in his third. At the one court, Davide Tortora definitely hung in with the top 100 opponent, but needed to force a third set, ended up losing 6-4, 7-5. By the way, that freshman, Yasine, also played the last match against Tulane. Same stakes, except NCAA tournament or bust, and got beat. For what it's worth. Maybe it's worth a little bit of a wry smile. Unfortunately, not enough to smile about for the men's golf team who sees its season come to an end. They were hanging around, if not for one player, quite actually one player, Austin Riley, who was the fifth in the Houston lineup. Now, he was their number two golfer and was an all-conference golfer last year, but he had struggled for him and opened up with a 64. That would be a six under 64 that included not one, but three eagles. At one point, he was nine under. Midway through his second round in first place, he ended up cooling down, but still finishing second place overall behind his teammate Santiago de la Fuente. But if Riley had been playing like he had been playing lately, which, hey, give him credit, first place would have been within range. As it is, the Bulls were a full 19 shots out of first place as they faltered in the final round. They were within a half dozen or so early, but that just quickly turned around. Even though Houston shot its worst score of the three days, they still won the AAC for the first time, and they won it easily. Nine under par since he was three over. SMU at four over came in as the third highest ranked team in the conference and is a bubble team. UCF probably had to finish above one of those top three to get on the NCAA bubble. Bulls end up 10 over par. At one point, Jake Peacock and Nino Palmquist were both in the top five, but Palmquist, who is the Bulls' fifth golfer, after going three under and then one under, was nine over on his final round. Shuby Joglon had a great final round, three under par that included an eagle. Sam Nicholson ended up with the best overall score for the Bulls of three over. Women's golf, we said keep an eye on the bubble for their sake on the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Hope that UNLV finished in fifth. Well, by one shot, it did. And in the new golf rankings, UNLV actually did drop underneath the Bulls, who went from 57 to 55. If 57 was believed to be the last spot in the field, and the Bulls were at 55 through the weekend, with all that happened in the Big Ten where you were rooting for one of the three teams on the bubble to falter, and Minnesota ended up being that team finishing at 9 over par. Illinois was the team one spot ahead of the Bulls. By the way, they won this Big Ten championship an event where they were 13 over par, and we just mentioned Minnesota, they were 50 over par as a team. But Crystal Wang, who is their best golfer, shot a 9 under 62 in the final round to win the individual title by 12 shots. She was 12 under, no one else was under par. Anyway, Illinois took care of business, but we think that the Bulls have done enough business on the women's golf side to make the NCAA tournament field. We'll know for sure on Wednesday afternoon. That'll wrap up the Monday Bulls Beat. I'm Derek Sharp.